Eschaton. Well, hello and welcome to episode number 13 of Eschaton. My name is Sam and I'll be your host as we take this deep dive into the last days. Today we'll be once again in Matthew chapter 24, starting in verse 34. So if you want to go ahead and turn there with me, we'll jump right into this. Matthew 24, starting in verse 34. Of course, last week we looked at verse, uh, let's see, 32 and 33, talking about the parable of the fig tree and the idea of the last days being at the doors. And so this week we'll be finishing off this paragraph in verses 34 and 35 before we go on next time to talk about the warning from watchfulness section. So if you're counting down the sections of it, this is section number six out of chapter 24, and uh, we'll be going into section number seven next week, which has got a couple little subsections under it, and we'll go into all that. Uh, We've, of course, gone through everything in Matthew 24 up to this point. If you want to go back through our older episodes, they're going to be, they are on YouTube, they are on uh, Facebook, you can find them, and they're on our podcast feed as well, which is At A Church Radio. Be sure and subscribe, give us a like, share, all that good stuff. And uh, if you can, hop on Apple Podcasts and give us a comment there and give us a rating in that way that'll help others find this podcast as well. All right, so uh, we're going to jump in then, verse 34, Matthew chapter 24. Let me read verses 34 and 35, and then we'll look at what the Lord has in here. So it says, Verily I say unto you, this generation shall not pass till all these things be fulfilled. Heaven and earth shall pass away, but my words shall not pass away. So in verse 34, here's an often misinterpreted, often misconstrued concept of this generation shall not pass till all these things be fulfilled. And uh, before we get into any anything, we can just right off the bat uh, say that as, as full or total fulfillment of this prophecy or of this statement, we know that Christ was not speaking distinctly of the generation he was speaking to at the time. This is pretty obvious and pretty basic, but a lot of people will say, well, because a lot of these prophecies had to do with the destruction of the temple that occurred in AD 70, then 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 he was talking about this generation, in other words, the disciples that he was talking to at the time. However, we know all these prophecies are speaking of his return, are speaking of the last days, the last things, when the kingdom actually gets established physically. So there is maybe a partial fulfillment of these things, but it's not the total fulfillment. So here, when he says this generation, we can't uh, we can't of certainty say, well, it was just those people he was talking to, and therefore, you know, he was talking about the destruction of the temple, blah, blah, blah. He was talking about that on some level, and we've talked about it some already, but I wanted to get that out of the way right away. I do not believe that the, the passage supports the idea that he was only talking about the generation in front of him. Let's look at this concept, though, of a generation, right? This generation shall not pass, he says. This generation will, will remain until all these things be fulfilled. That's the other question is, what are all these things? Well, first, let's talk about what ge- the generation is. As you see here, I've got it pulled up. It's the Greek term uh, genea, which means a, a generation, an age, a, a generation, a nation, or a time. Again, I've mentioned it several times already. I'll mention it again. The Greek language, the Greek and Hebrew culture uh, are, are much broader and mu- much less granular than we like to think in our Western scientific, modern, you know, postmodern mindset. Uh, so when they use a term like this, like generation, that does not always mean a an exact scientific measurement, right? When he says generation, he's not talking only about one group of people having children, and though that's the next generation, although it can include that. We looked at that when we looked at this idea of day, or we will be looking at that, excuse me, some more, I'm getting ahead of myself, some more, when we look at this idea of that day and hour, knoweth no man, these kind of concepts uh, are not always a specific date or a specific, again, granular point, exact, which exact generation, and of course, then the question would be, well, when did that generation begin, et cetera, et cetera. He's talking here using the word generation, but that word generation doesn't always mean exactly what you want to me. <laughs> we'll put it that way. Uh, the first time the Old Testament Septuagint refers to Noah, of course, is interesting. So let's jump back to Genesis chapter 6, verse 9. Genesis chapter 6, and we'll go down in verse 9. 
these are the generations of Noah. And this is a different a Hebrew word here in the Hebrew version, and uh, that is family or history, generations, right? So there it's talking a little more about familial, about the genealogy, about the genetics, like the genetic line. Uh, here in Genesis 6, 9, it says, these are generations of Noah. Noah is a just man and perfect in his generations, and Noah walked with God. Now there you see that the second time that word generation shows up in the same verse is a different word in Hebrew. It means a revolution of time, an age, right? A dwelling, posterity. So already we see how this word generations can mean a distinct family line, a lineage, gene, genetic genealogy, right? Or it can mean an era, right? A time, a time place, if you will, a, a time, a space in time during which certain things happened, an age. Uh, let's jump down to 7 verse 1. So that's chapter 6, verse 9, chapter 7, verse 1. The Lord said unto Noah, Come thou and all thy house into the ark, for thee have I seen righteous before me in this generation. There again, he uses that term. Uh, it's the term door in uh, in the Hebrew, and it's that same word in from the Greek, genea, which is used in different contexts here and in slightly different ways, but it can mean different things depending on the context. So that's something to remember when we look at a term like generation. Okay, it's not necessarily a scientific term. Let's go over to Matthew 1, verse 17. Matthew chapter 1, we'll jump up to Matthew chapter 1, verse number 17 says, So all the generations from Abraham to David are 14 generations. From David until the carrying way into Babylon are 14 generations. From the carrying way into Babylon to Christ are 14 generations. Here, of course, is talking about the uh, lineage of Christ and talking about the different generations. And here it is talking about one generation to the next, right? From one parent to their child, from that child, then they become a parent to the next child, etc. down the line. And here we see that's our term, Ganea, uh, Ganea, it's that's the term Ganea that's used all throughout this verse, mentioned several times. This is used to note that passage of time, an era of time, as it relates to families specifically, right? As it relates to genealogies. Mark chapter 8, Mark chapter 8, let's jump over there real quick, and starting in verse 34, and when he had called the people unto him with his disciples also, he said unto them, Whosoever will come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. For whosoever will save his life shall lose it, but whosoever shall lose his life for my sake and the gospels, the same shall save it. Of course, this is Christ talking. For what shall a profit a man if he shall gain the whole world and lose his own soul? Or what shall a man give in exchange for his soul? Whosoever therefore shall be ashamed of me and of my words in this adulterous and sinful generation, of him also shall the Son of Man be ashamed when he cometh in the glory of his Father with the holy angels. So there we see that he jumps back and forth a little bit, talking about those that are in front of him, talking about those who are to come, and then talking about those who are going to be in the end, right, of when he cometh, when the Son of Man be, will the Son of Man be ashamed, when he cometh in the glory of his Father with the holy angels. There it's obviously talking about the second coming, right, the return of the king. So, Who's the generation then that he's talking about in verse 38? It's that word Ganea. He says, Whosoever therefore shall be ashamed, so that's in the future, of me and of my words in this adulterous and sinful generation. Well, he says this adulterous and sinful generation. So is he talking about the one in front of him, the people he was talking to? Because he says, Of him also shall the Son of Man be ashamed when he cometh, again, future tense, in the glory of his Father. So it's the return. We know the return of Christ did not happen yet. So what is he talking about here? Well, he's he's obviously not talking about that specific group of people in front of him, that specific generation as the way we like to use it. So we see here, how Jesus uses the term generation to refer to a group of people. If if it helps to understand, this really helped me understand this term and how it's used in the scripture, is to break that word down to the word generate, right? A generation is the group or the mass that has generated from a specific thing, a specific point, a specific place, a specific person, right? And that's the way this term is used. In other words, it's a group of people or a group of things that have generated, that have come from another specific group. It's, it's really fruit, right? It's the idea of the result of a seed that's been planted, the result of one idea or one person or one time, if you will, that has then blossomed into something else, things that generate forth from that. So it, it 
it helps if we if we remove our our modern contextual understanding of the word generation, the only way we really use it now and understand it in a broader context, right? So there we are with that. Psalms 12 has the preservation of God's word and his generation and generation mentioned. Uh, you can compare and contrast that with heaven and earth and his words in Matthew chapter 24, verse 35, which we'll look at in just a moment. Jesus referred to the obstinate Pharisees and everyone with them and who believe the same as they do as this generation very often. We see that in Matthew 11, verse 16, Matthew 12, verses 38 through 45, also in chapter 23, verses 34 through 39. Since we're here in Mark, let's go down to, let's go up to uh, verse here in chapter 8, verse number 10, Matthew chapter, or sorry, Mark chapter 8, starting verse 10 through verse 13, it says, straightway he entered into a ship with his disciples, came into the parts of Dalmanutha. Pharisees came forth, began to question with him, seeking of, of him a sign from heaven, tempting him. And he sighed deeply in his spirit and saith, why doth this generation seek after a sign? Verily I say unto you, there shall no sign be given unto this generation. So that's that word generation again, Ganea and Ganea used again. So is he talking about this generation as in this uh, like Gen Z, let's say, or the millennials or whatever, however we use it now, is he, is he using that to say like the Pharisee generation, as in the ones who were alive at that point in time? He is, when he first says it, why does this generation seek after sign? But he says there should no sign be given unto this generation, meaning the people in front of him. But he's also speaking of, in a broader context, he's speaking of people who generate from this lifestyle, this mindset that the Pharisees had. And so he's saying something specific to them and about them, but he's also making a broader application within that. I hope that makes sense there. Uh, we also jump over to Acts chapter 2, and we can see this in another context. Acts chapter 2, and that is in verse number 36. It says, Therefore, let all the house of Israel know assuredly that God hath made that same Jesus whom ye have crucified, both Lord and Christ. Now, when they heard this, the people who were hearing his sermon, they were pricked in their heart and said unto Peter and to the rest of the apostles, Men and brethren, what shall we do? Then Peter said unto them, Repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ, for the remission of sins, and ye shall receive the gift of the Holy Ghost. Verse 39, For the promise is unto you, and to your children, and to all that are afar off, as even as many as the Lord our God shall call. And with many other words did he testify and exhort, saying, Save yourselves from this untoward generation. So that word untoward is the word uh, scolios, which means whining, perverse, right? So it's a perverse generation. So is he saying, save yourself from a perverse, uh, you know, Gen Z is perverse, therefore save yourself out of them? Well, you could say that if you lived during that time period, but he's also saying, save yourself from what this generation believes, what they stand for, what they actually, what their mindset is, right? Their, their belief system, their perversion is what you're being saved out of, not the fact that you don't become part of that generation anymore, if that makes sense. All right. Uh, Philippians chapter 2, verse 15, it can also refer to a spiritual generation. It's also an age or a period we see in Acts chapter 14, verse 16, chapter 15, verse 21, Ephesians chapter 3, verse 5. Let's hop over that one. And the reason I'm pointing out so many different examples, I did, you know, do a word search, obviously, to see where this verse or this term shows up. But I want to show how it shows up in slightly different contexts, depending on how it's applied. And so it doesn't always mean the exact same thing, right? Uh, but it does mean the same thing. The definition hasn't changed, but it doesn't mean it in the way that we use it today. Put it that way. Uh, Ephesians chapter 3, starting verse 5, which in other ages was not not made known unto the sons of men, as it is now revealed unto his holy apostles and prophets by the Spirit. Well, here that word ages there is the word genea. So he's talking about in a time period. So it's a, a, a space of time that originated from a point in time. So it's a generation of time. So he's, And here the translators chose the word ages to represent that. Uh, it's also there in verse 21 of the same chapter. And to him be glory in the church by Christ Jesus throughout all ages, all generations, is what the a literal translation would be, world without end. So he's talking about all time, time spaces, right? All time and 
all periods of time. The word comes from the idea of causing to be. It's not only speaking of children or offspring, it's ideological groups, it's races, anything like that that have sprung from a singular generation point. So we get that our words in English related to it are the words general, gene, genesis, all those things are related. So that's where this idea of this generation is. So then if we go back to Matthew chapter 24, verse 34, excuse me, yeah, verse 34, Verily I say unto you, this generation shall not pass till all these things be fulfilled. He's saying this generation, meaning the generation that begins from the point at which all these things he's talking about relate to. I know that's kind of a long way to say it, but basically he's saying this generation, meaning those who, like the very first previously, when ye shall see all these things, know that it is near even at the doors. That's the generation he's talking about. That's the time period he's talking about. That time period will not pass till all these things be fulfilled. It's another interesting point to note that when these things begin to happen and when, when it is actually the fulfillment of them, they will all happen. He says right here, till all these things be fulfilled. We'll talk about fulfilled in just a moment, but a lot of people will choose one moment, one specific prophecy, one specific application out of end times passages and say, see, look, this is happening. Therefore, it's the end times. You can say, okay, that's a partial fulfillment of that prophecy that's related. Yes. You know, does it apply, you know, in broader context? Yes. But the time he's talking about the actual end, all of these things will happen. All these things will be fulfilled. It's all going to come to pass from the birth pangs all the way up until the actual return of Christ will all be included, will all be fulfilled, will all take place within the last days. And that last days will be this general generation, right? This this time in, in, in our timeline of reality. So this word fulfilled, let's talk about that word fulfilled. It's the Greek term ginomai, which means, uh, I jotted down here, to cause to be, to become, arise, to be assembled, to brought to pass, right? So it's this idea of something coming to pass, something uh, being finished, it's come to its 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 culmination, its fulfillment, right? Its end. That's why the word fulfilled is a great translation of that. The first time we see it in the Old Testament in the Septuagint is in Genesis chapter three, 1, verse 3. So it's pretty early on. Uh, let's start at the beginning. In the beginning, God created the heaven and the earth. The earth was out form and void, and darkness was upon the face of the deep. And the Spirit of God moved upon the face of the waters. And God said, let there be light, and there was light. That term for let there be in the, in the Greek is one term, and... It's also the same term that's used in there was. We see here that the Hebrew is broken up a little differently, but the Septuagint, the Greek translation of the Hebrew text, which was approved, if you will, it was quoted by uh, the apostles, it was quoted by Christ himself, so we know that it was a valid translation of the Hebrew. The same word, ginomai, that word of becoming to cause to be, to arise, is used of the phrase, let there be, where it says, God said, let there be light, and also, there was light. So God's saying, let this happen, let this be fulfilled, and then, of course, it was. And it's the first time we see that concept showing up in the scripture in history, you know, obviously at the beginning of the creation, uh, that is that is what is happening. He is God is saying this must come to pass, and therefore it comes to pass. Some scholars believe that, uh, well, we'll jump to that in a second, but let's jump back to uh, Matthew chapter 1, verse 22. Matthew chapter 1, verse 22, and this is the first time it shows up in the, in the New Testament. Now all this was done, that it might be fulfilled, which was spoken of the Lord by the prophet, saying, Behold, a virgin shall be with child, shall bring forth a son, they shall call his name Emmanuel, which being interpreted is God with us. So there where it says, um, in verse 22, all this was done, that's that same word, ginomai. So we know that it, it can mean, it can be translated into English as, let there be, or there was, or was done. So it's the idea of culmination, the idea of something was, there's a will behind it, right? Something is is either stated, or is desired, or, or whatever, and then it comes to pass and it is done. So 
all of that being in mind, let's jump back to our Matthew 24 verse, verse 34. Verily I say unto you, this generation shall not pass till all these things be fulfilled. That fulfilled is that come to pass, to be, to to happen, right? To be in fulfillment, in culmination. So again, it goes back to this idea that the same generation that's having some of these things happen, that's having some of these things take place, if it's the generation he's talking about, then it's going to be all of them, right? It's all going to happen at once, or not all at once, obviously, but all, it's going to all be fulfilled. All of it's going to be completely fulfilled. Some scholars have pointed out that verse 34 uh, could possibly be in reference back to the question in verse 3, which is what the disciples asked him before he began this passage. In verse 3, he sat upon the Mount of Olives. Disciples came unto him privately saying, tell us, when shall these things be? What he was saying in verse 2 about the temple being destroyed. And what shall be the sign of thy coming and of the end of the world? So the answers then would be in verse 34, this generation shall not pass when those things will be, in other words, destruction of the temple, all these things will be fulfilled when he comes again. So you could interpret it that way as well. I think that's not a, to me, that's not the complete fulfillment of what he's saying in this verse, but it is not a, it's not an invalid interpretation. I'll put it that way of this verse. But either way, that is verse 34. Let's jump into verse 35 then. Matthew 24, verse 35, heaven and earth shall pass away, but my words shall not pass away. This seems like a really basic, really, really straightforward thing, but it's really cool when we start looking at the connections here. So let's jump back to Second Chronicles chapter 8. Second Chronicles chapter 8. Go an Old Testament on this one. Chapter 8 says, starting in verse number 14. And he appointed, according to the order of David his father, the courses of the priests to their service. This is this is uh, Solomon at the um at the dedication of the temple, I believe. Yes. According to the order of David his father, the courses of the priests to their service, and the Levites to their charges, to praise and minister before the priests, as the duty of every day required, the porters also by their courses at every gate, for so had David the man of God commanded. Verse fifteen, and they departed not from the commandment of the king unto the priests and Levites concerning any matter or concerning the treasures. Verse sixteen, now all the work of Solomon was prepared unto the day of the foundation of the house of the Lord, and until it was finished. So the house of the Lord was perfected. So here we see the king's command, this idea of the word being used and then continuing on, the king's command is carried out in perpetuity. The king's command exists in perpetuity. In other words, it was stated and it has not been changed, but it also is carried out. It's fulfilled in perpetuity. So and an, uh, it's a type of the word of the Lord, right? As they're serving here and they're maintaining at the temple, we see that his word is given. It doesn't change. It's given forever. And then they carry it out forever, at least according to as long as they're able to. Second uh, Peter chapter 3, verse 8. Second Peter 3, starting in verse number 8 says, But beloved, be not ignorant of this one thing, that one day is with the Lord as a thousand years, and a thousand years is one day. The Lord is not slack concerning his promise, as some men count slackness, but is long-suffering to usward, not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. But the day of the Lord will come as a thief in the night, in the which the heavens shall pass away with a great noise, and the elements shall melt with fervent heat, the earth also, and the works that are therein shall be burned up. So here we see that the heavens, the elements, and the earth itself will be burnt up at the day of the Lord. But Jesus said in our verse back in Matthew chapter 24, in verse 35, he says, heaven and earth shall pass away. Here we see that uh, a prophecy from, from Peter in his second letter here saying this much, but we see that Jesus says, so heaven and earth will pass away, but my words shall not pass away. In other words, my words going forth and the fulfillment of my words, them being carried out, whether it's by ministers of angels or whether it's by humans or whether it's just them coming to pass, just like at creation, will not pass away. His words will continue on, will continue to work. All right. And that term pass away there is our word um, parakomai, which which is Greek, means to come near, to approach, to go by, uh, perish or neglect, uh, to come forth, to pass away, to pass, to transgress. So it's, it literally means what I was translated to pass away, right? To pass by, to be, to pass in the sense of passing, being gone. And he's saying his words shall not do that, will not, will not ever do that. Uh, just jump back to Matthew chapter 5 and go to verse number 17. 
Matthew 5 and verse number 17, says, Think not that I am come to destroy the law or the prophets. I am not come to destroy, but to fulfill. So Jesus himself, while he was here, said, All that stuff in the Old Testament that I already said, that I already laid down, I'm not destroying it. I'm not changing it. I am fulfilling it. And he is adding to it in the sense that he is the fulfillment of it, but he's not changing the Old Testament. He is not doing away with it in the sense that we think of it. Verse 17 says uh, that he's not come to destroy it. Verse 18, here he is again. For verily I say unto you, till heaven and earth pass, one jot or one tittle shall in no wise pass from the law till all be fulfilled. And if you're paying attention, you'll notice that because he says that the law shall in no wise pass, that word will not pass. And he mentions later on in chapter 24 that his words will never pass. He's again making a connection that he is God. Jesus Christ is God manifested in the flesh. And again, he he says it indirectly, but he's saying it again when he says this, that his word will never pass. Verse 19, whosoever therefore shall break one of these least commandments and shall teach men so, he shall be called the least in the kingdom of heaven. But whosoever shall do and teach them, the same shall be called great in the kingdom of heaven. For I say unto you that except your righteousness shall exceed the righteousness of the scribes and Pharisees, you shall in no case enter into the kingdom of heaven. So the righteousness necessary to enter the kingdom of heaven, to get close to God himself, has never changed. The amount of holiness God has has never diminished. But now we have access to God the Father through Christ the Son, right? He has provided a way in that that supersedes in the sense that it culminates and fulfills already all of the law. So we're not required to keep the law in order to have the righteousness necessary to meet with God. Christ says that the law will remain until all be fulfilled, even beyond the passing of heaven and earth. So here we see again, he connects his idea of his word is permanent. It's unchanging, but heaven and earth are impermanent. There's something that he created, which means he has the right to do whatever he wants with them. And at some point, he's going to remake them into the new heaven and the new earth. Luke chapter 16, verse 17 tells us that God's word is more permanent than the universe that it occupies. Let's go read that verse itself. Luke chapter 16, verse number 17. He says, it is easier for heaven and earth to pass than one tittle of the law to fail. So the entirety of the universe can pass away, it can be burnt up, whatever happens, you know, it, it, it exhausts itself. It's easier for that to happen, for the entirety of everything that we understand as reality to pass away than one tittle of the law. One little piece, one little, one tiny little mark or note upon the law of Jesus Christ, of God himself to, pa- to pass away. The, you see there then the difference between God's words and even the creation that emanated from his words. His words are the permanent part. We see in Hebrews chapter 11, verse number one, you know, and following that faith is is where the eternal, the the things that are beyond this reality manifest into reality. By them were the worlds created, right? By faith was the world itself created. And so we see that God's word, which is where these things started from, is more permanent than the very universe that emanates from it. Let's jump back to Isaiah chapter 51, Isaiah chapter 51, and we'll start in number, verse number 16. He says, I've put my words in thy mouth and I've covered the, I'm sorry, it's verse number six. Yes, verse number six. Lift up your eyes to the heavens and look upon the earth beneath. For the heavens shall vanish away like smoke and the earth shall wax old like a garment and they that dwell therein shall die in like manner. But my salvation shall be forever and my righteousness shall not be abolished. Here again, we see that these eternal things, God's word, um, his salvation, his righteousness, they're all permanent. They're all eternal. They do not pass away. But if we go down to verse 16, we see, I have put my words in thy mouth. I have covered thee in the shadow of mine hand that I may plant the heavens and lay the foundations of the earth and say unto Zion, thou art my people. So if you make the connection here that God's word is permanent. It's unchangeable. It is everlasting, right? It is, it, it provides salvation and 
because those things are permanent, if you have those things in you, he says, I put my words in thy mouth. If you have Christ, who is the word, as John 1 tells us, living in you, then you are carried through in permanence beyond the ends of the earth, beyond the heavens and earth passing away. So it's a beautiful picture here in Isaiah chapter 51, where God's word is permanent, God's salvation is permanent. And if you have those words inside of you, as it says here in verse 16, I put my words in thy mouth and cover thee in the shadow of mine hand. If he's got you in that state, right? If you have trusted in him, if you have been baptized, baptized into his name, and then his spirit fills you, the word of God as Christ, as the spirit fills you, then you are just as permanent as the word is. And that's where our trust and our faith goes to, is that not nothing to do with us, nothing to do with how much we've accomplished, how great we are, or how many ability, how much ability we have, but based on his faithfulness of his word. That's as permanent as you can have faith of your salvation being. John chapter 1, we just mentioned, the same word that made creation sustains those who hold it within. Let's go over there and finish out reading those verses then in John chapter 1 on this lesson this week. John chapter 1, starting in verse 1, In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. The same was in the beginning with God. All things were made by him, and without him was not anything made that was made. In him was life, and the life was the light of men. And the light shineth in darkness, and the darkness comprehended it not. Here we see that same word that made creation, that emanated out creation from himself, sustains those who hold that word within themselves. So if you have the faith in Jesus Christ, if you have placed your faith in him for salvation, if you followed through with the things he's asked you to do for salvation, and you have that faith and you keep it within you, that faith, he that endureth, he, right, he that holds on to that faith shall be saved. You will, you will see the end of these things. You will be just like the word mentioned in Matthew chapter 24, verse 35. You will not pass away because you have his word within you. So I wanted to finish on, a, on that really positive note there. Revelation chapter 21 mentions these things as well. Let's jump over there just to make sure we connect it back. Verse, uh, let's see, 21 verse starting in verse number one. I saw a new heaven and a new earth. So here's where it actually happens, right? In Revelation. For the first heaven and the first earth were passed away. There was no more sea. And I, John, saw the holy city, New Jerusalem, coming down from God out of heaven, prepared as a bride adorned for her husband. And I heard a great voice out of heaven saying, Behold, the tabernacle of God is with men, and he will dwell with them, and they shall be his people, and God himself shall be with them and be their God. And God shall wipe away all tears from their eyes, and there shall be no more death, neither sorrow nor crying, neither shall there be no more pain, for the former things are passed away. So all those other things outside of the word of God, outside of his promises outside of the eternal things that he has created will pass away but the things that are eternal like his holy spirit which dwells in you if you've received the holy spirit will not pass away so that's going to carry you through all of these things whether it's the tribulation period whether it's just your life you know from beginning to end you know from the time you know christ it will never pass away and we can have that faith and that confidence in him so thank you so much for listening to this lesson uh this has been eschaton here on at a church radio please jump on our website at a church.info and you can check out uh, more information on our church and where we are we're here at 11140 east 10th street in lovely indianapolis indiana we'd love for you to come visit us anytime uh we have services on wednesday nights at 6 30 we have services at uh, excuse me at 7 we have services on sundays starting at 10 a.m and at 6 30 p.m and so if you're in the area in near indianapolis on sundays or wednesdays please come by and stop and see us we'd love to have you join us please also share this podcast these videos with anyone that you believe would benefit from them and as always thank you so much for listening and god bless you are listening to your apostolic radio at a church radio.